0: Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. Grievous words stir up anger. Verse 18, a wrathful or an angry man stirs up strife. He that is slow to anger appeases strife. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to consider what we say. How often our words are used to harm They're used to cause conflict. They're born out of selfishness in our hearts. But help us to realize, Lord, that this is not how we are to be, that wise words proceed from a wise heart, and that the gentleness of the Spirit should be in us, so that in every situation what we say is gentle and pure and peaceable. That's the wisdom that comes from above. It's not earthly and sensual and devilish. It comes out of the heart of a spiritual man. So help us, Lord, to be wise in what we say. That our words would be honoring to you. That others would hear our words and rejoice and be glad because they are filled with grace. Like food that has been seasoned is tastier. Words that are gracious are pleasant to the ear. Lord, it's, it's hard to conceal this. Yes, we can fake spirit control in a lot of things. It's really hard to do that with our tongue. So we really do need you to control us. Because, Lord, even the best among us fail too often. So we ask your blessing, Lord, on what we say. Help us to be led by the Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I got into a conversation with a guy, and I was really eager to have this conversation. Let me tell you how eager I was. I actually had written out in my notes part in my phone everything I wanted to say. I don't know if you've ever gone to that detail for a conversation, but that's when you really want to communicate certain ideas. And so I, I was that interested in the conversation. And about a half an hour into this conversation, uh, we had talked about so many other things. I just hadn't gotten to anything I wanted to say. yet. And about a half an hour in, just as I'm finally getting to my first point that I wanted to bring up, Uh, This man's wife walks in with one of the wives of one of our missionaries that we support here. So that kind of stopped the conversation. Uh, We got up from where we were sitting. We would have greeted them. I actually know this lady very well, uh, both this man's wife and our missionary wife. Uh, So we started talking with them. But the whole time we were talking, just for a few moments, I'm pretty perturbed. Because I think I've got all of this I want to say. And I haven't been able to get to it yet. Now, I don't know how you are in in scenarios like that, but for me that never goes well. I was totally wrong-footed. And and in the middle of this new conversation now, my conversation I was having with him was pretty much wrecked by these two ladies walking in and that's fine and they didn't know and and even if they did, it doesn't matter, you know, they're they have every right to bust in our conversation. And the gentleman I was talking to, he didn't know I had some things I wanted to cover. And so it, it was just me, but I was a little perturbed. And I, and I was agitated and a little upset. And then in the middle of all that, a young man walks in the room. Uh, and he had just recently received a kidney transplant that was life-saving. A life-saving transplant. Now, what happens at this point, I'm... I'm going to tell you, but I'm very embarrassed about what happens, okay? Rarely do I give you this much detail, but I'm just going to tell you I was very embarrassed because this is what happened next. I was so upset that I wasn't able to have my conversation. And by the time this guy walks in and tells us about his life-saving kidney transplant, the conversation I wanted to have was gone, was gone. I had been waiting weeks to have this conversation, and it was destroyed by this kidney transplant survivor. The nerve, you know. So under my breath, this is what I said. Well, he can have one of my kidneys as long as it's the one with all the kidney stones. I said it under my breath. I think the missionary wife heard me, but she's too gracious to say anything. And the moment it came out of my mouth, the moment, you know, it's leaving your mouth, you're going, no, I felt terrible because my selfishness had erupted out of my mouth. James asks the question, how can a sweet fountain ever give out bitter waters? I can tell you the answer to that question. It comes out of a heart that isn't controlled by the Holy Spirit. Well, I spent the next hour and a half chastising myself. You are the biggest idiot. What were you thinking? Why would you even say that? Keep your dumb mouth shut. This is what's going through my head. In fact, a couple of times as I was by myself, I was verbalizing this. I may have even been gesturing. I was so angry with myself. In fact, the conversation ended in such a way that I could not even apologize for what I had said. I, I was just stuck. And so I go to my car. I was now in a hurry to drive to the airport. And the whole time I am thinking about what a rude, dumb, selfish thing I had said. And while nobody reacted, and maybe nobody heard, I heard what I said. God heard what I said. Friends, this is a problem we all have. Every one of us, from time to time, say things that we wish we could take back. We we say things in the selfishness of the moment. From whatever difficulty we're having, it comes out of our mouth, our our angry, bitter, frustrated, selfish heart. And we just throw up those words onto other people. And the book of Proverbs here in chapter 15 does a really good job of explaining this. In fact, I can't... I don't want to take time to explain how Proverbs 15 is constructed by Solomon, but this is the general gist of it. The first 17 verses and and the last 15 verses or so, 16 verses, form two sections of the same idea. That is, verse 1 and verse 18 go together. Then there's another section that begins in verse 2, and it begins in after verse 18 into verse 19, and they just kind of begin going together that way. I could give you a chart, and you could see the parallels between these two sections. And Solomon is doing this probably to aid in memory, but also as a device where he's giving you an idea and then later coming back to that idea again and giving you new information about that idea. So with that in mind, verse 1 and verse 18 form a single solitary unit in Proverbs 15. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin in verse 18 and then I'm going to go back to verse 1. But I want you to understand that Solomon is including verse 1 and verse 18 together as one unit. So let's begin then by talking about the patient man. And the connection between the angry man and the patient man and the words the angry man uses and the words the patient man uses. I want to show you what I mean by saying, number one, we should be patient in disputes with others. We should never be ruled by our emotions. Verse 18. Look at the first part. What does it say? A wrathful man or an angry man. He Stirs up strife. Now, the wrathful man is not a spiritually wise man. He is defined by his anger. The word wrath here has the idea of rage or indignation, even the idea of being hot to the point of boiling. And here, this word wrath or anger is used as a moniker, it's a descriptive term that's attached to the word man. To help you understand who this person is. We use these kinds of things all the time to describe people. She's smiley. He's effervescent. uh, She's happy. Or nothing ever goes right in her life. She's a, a walking rain cloud. You know, pig pen. You just have these words or phrases you use to describe people. Here, it's the wrathful man. And notice, because he is defined by his anger, we would say from a New Testament perspective, well, then he can't be filled by the Spirit, right? He's not being controlled by the Spirit. Keep your place here. Go to Galatians chapter 5 for a moment, and notice with me what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5 about the angry man. In verse 22 and 23 we're told that a spiritually wise man is controlled by the spirit and because of that, he produces certain fruits. These aren't fruits you can produce yourself. You can't force yourself to be patient. You can't force yourself to be peaceful. These are things that come out of you because the Holy Spirit is in charge of you. These are the fruits or the evidences of a spirit led life. One who is actively walking or ordering his life in the spirit. Verse 16. He is, he is being led by the spirit of God and among the evidences that this is true of him are these qualities. Notice how many of them are emotions. Love. Joy. Joy. Peace. A Spirit-led man is a man controlled by the Spirit so that out of his life come these emotions. But if he is not controlled by the Spirit, then out of his life come the works of the flesh, verse 19. And look at them. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, or they're made apparent, which are? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, sexual sins, envyings, idolatry, witchcraft. Those are similar. Then look at verse 20. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife. There all grouped together. If you're not being led by the spirit of God, then you can try to mask what is true. But in your heart, you may be a boiling cauldron of anger. And eventually that's going to come out of your mouth. In fact, look at the way this person is described. Verse 15. If you bite and devour one one another, take heed that you do not be consumed one of another. He's talking about inside of a church. A church filled with people led by their flesh and not by the Spirit of God. They bite and devour. These are words of danger. Church can be the dangerous place on earth on a Sunday morning. For you, We would love for it to be the most peaceful place on earth. We want to invite people in. Come enjoy the harmony of what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we're here to help one another follow Christ to the glory of God. But instead what often happens is because of our frustration and anger. And that we have in our hearts because of a refusal to submit ourselves. To depend and yield upon the Holy Spirit throughout the week. Out of us come. A, a mass of gross, angry, evil words that hurt other people. It's dangerous. It causes dangerous situations. Look at verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Oh my. The, the man who's led by his own flesh He's now being provoked or he is provoking each other by what he says, by what he thinks, by how he acts. He's jealous of other people. He envies them. And he causes those situations to come. Well, that's not a spirit-filled man. Turn over to Romans 8 for a moment. Here we have a description of a believer, no longer condemned. He's still a sinner, but he's not condemned for his sin. There is therefore now no condemnation, verse 1, to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Some modern versions don't have that phrase. It's repeated later, though, in verse 4. And that's where I want to focus. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Look at verse 5. For they that are of the flesh mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Christians should be characterized as being spiritual people. They should be ordering their lives in the Spirit. That's what verse 4 is teaching. This is the characterization of verse 4. You don't order your lives in your sinful passions any longer. Rather, you're ordering your life in spiritual things. If you understand how the tongue works, the tongue isn't a mind of itself. It it only is operated by what's underneath. Or as Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. If the heart's right, the mouth speaks right. But when the heart's wrong, woe be to anyone within listening distance. Because what is about to be said is not going to be spiritual. And here's the problem. If we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, more the better. But if we set our mind on the things of the flesh, then we have a problem. Because now unbelieving words, non-faith words, non-Christ words, come out of us. See, the Spirit indwells believers He doesn't indwell unbelievers, verse 9. Those who are in Christ are the sons of God. They have the spirit of Christ, verse 10. They are the sons of God, verse 14. And out of them should come the words that bring joy and life and peace to others. Going back to Proverbs 15, then, this man intentionally, the angry man intentionally produces Contention. He wants to stir up strife to create the dispute. This is because he ultimately wants his own way. This is what James is describing in chapter three that the worldly wise man, the fool, intentionally produces conflict because in his heart is bitter envying and strife. It's not the wisdom that comes from above, it's wisdom that is earthly and sensual and demonic. It's of the devil. And this is what produces conflict in James chapter 4. Where do the wars come from among us? They come from our members. That is our body parts. That war within us. Always desiring, because we are still human, to have preeminence. I wish I could tell you that I am a completely selfless person, but I'm not. And do you know, it's very easy for me, I'm sure for you, when you see other people being selfish to go, oh, she is so selfish. He is, he's the most selfish guy I know, except for yourself. And I don't think we can limit Solomon to the angry man and and stirring strife. Anger and strife go together. What does the lusty man produce? What kind of response do you have from a person who is filled with other sins? They produce things as well. Now Solomon is only addressing this problem because truly anger is a problem. It's endemic to mankind. All you have to do is go on social media and type in anything somewhat political and you'll see the angry man. It's part of our national culture now because on social media, especially lots of different kinds of social media, you can say anonymously whatever you want to say. So happy guy four from Topeka might actually be your neighbor who you would be friends with normally, but happy guy four from Topeka, that's his little handle, would say the most hateful things about you, not to your face, but on social media. And you know what it's like because sometimes you're happy guy four from Topeka. And you type under a false name, hurtful, hateful things. I, I tell you the truth, when I read a news article, the most fun for me is to read the comments section at the bottom. I love the comment section. I like to see what other people think about a news story, but, but I have to scroll quickly because about every second comment is something about Donald Trump or something about Joe Biden. As if these two men have created all the problems in our world, that if Donald Trump had not been president, we wouldn't be a war with Russia and Ukraine. And if Joe Biden weren't president, we wouldn't have inflation. Right. Gas wouldn't be $19 a gallon or whatever it is. Right. You get that little sticker. I did that. And don't get me started about the way Christians talked about President Obama. He's the president. But out of people's hearts is this hate and this anger and it just spews out. It produces contingent. But look at the look at how verse 18 ends. The godly desire to be ruled by God. He that is slow to anger appeases strife. You see, if you're God-controlled, James describes in chapter 1, he is slow to wrath. He, he's patient. And I love, there's two words for patience in the New Testament. One word is, I can remain under a heavy weight for a long time. I'm long-suffering. I can stay under that weight. I can suffer for a long time. But the other word is It Thumas is anger. Makra is the idea of being out of reach. It's anger that I can never get to. It's just out of my reach. And that's what the word is talking about here. That kind of patience. He's slow to wrath. He's the man who's hearing the word of God with the intent, James 1.21, of receiving and doing the words of God. That's the patient Man. Because as he's receiving the words of God, he sees how he is, and he judges other people, not by how they are, but by how Scripture describes them. We're all sinners. You can't out-sin me, my friend. You can't. I'm a sinner. I am capable of every evil wickedness under the sun, but so are you. So why do we hold others to our highest standard possible and ourselves to the lowest standard possible? Because that's what the flesh does. Paul describes the person as being patient. And this is the wise man in Solomon's proverb. The God-ruled man brings peace wherever he goes. This is what it means to appease in a volatile situation. He's the negotiator who brings unity. We, we return to the unrest, a state of tranquility. This is the guy that lowers the temperature in the room. He's the guy that calms the situation down. And we know this is godly wisdom because this is how God is described. Exodus 34, 6, The Lord God is merciful, and gracious, and long-suffering. Psalm 103, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Joel two thirteen, God is gracious and merciful, slow to wrath. God, <laughs> that's God. And if you are godly, you are like Him. So let me ask you how do you speak to your co workers? With the sweet words of Christ or with the angry words of the flesh? What, what about family members? Do you know we sometimes say the worst words possible to the ones we love the most? It's true. My wife said something to me, and she says it when when we're in a discussion. Do you know what a discussion is in marriage? That's when your spouse is completely wrong, and you are completely right, and the other one just can't see it. Do Do you know what I'm talking about now? See, now you do. Now you do. She said to me once, you'd never say that to a church member. Well, well, thanks. That's convicting. You know what that did? That just made me angrier. I wish you would say it would make me calmer, but it didn't. Fine, you want to say that to me? Well, i got some things to say to you, Missy. Yeah. That never goes well. But sometimes the people closest to us, are the words we use, the worst. And church members, we can just say things to them we'd never say to somebody else. What about your neighbors? What about social media? You see, friends, the whole point I'm trying to make here is, is in a dispute, you should be the patient one. If you are the godly one. Because now notice, because because God is controlling our emotions, then patience and dispute should be evident in what you say. Go back to verse 1 then. Now we understand how verse 1 and verse 18 fit together. The God-controlled emotions always result in a God-controlled tongue. Because a soft answer turns away that wrath. You see what he says? His words, particularly in a time of stress, are easy to listen to. They're exactly what should be said in the right moment. That's spiritual words. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit speaks to our hearts the words we need to hear the most at the very time we need to hear them. And that's what you are to the people around you. If you have the Holy Spirit of God controlling you, then you are able to speak the very words they need to hear exactly when they need to hear them. And so Solomon says they are delicate words. They are tender words. I mean, you know what I'm talking about when tender. Let's, let's illustrate it with a steak. Have you ever had a, a tough steak? I mean, a really bad steak? I was in Africa, and I told the, my African host, I feel like a steak. And he said, well, let's go to the grocery store. And I went to the grocery store, and I bought a steak. Now, I didn't understand. Apparently, in Africa, they don't eat steak like we do. So they cut the meat up into little bites, and they cut out all the sinew and all the other things that's in the steak. They don't cut their steaks so it's a nice piece of steak. It's, it's just really gristly and bad the whole all the way through because you cut it up in little bites, cut all those other parts, and you put it in a stew. Who eats a steak like that? Well, that's what they do. So I cooked that steak. I, the only way I could do it was pan fry it. That was fine, you know. But I got to eating it, and it was almost completely inedible. I mean, I cut around all the little bits of sinew and gristle I could, and I got out of a big steak. I got very little meat, and I was so unhappy. But that's that's what we're talking about. It wasn't tender at all. But maybe about 20 years ago, Becky and I were up at a Japanese steakhouse in North Raleigh, and I don't know if you if you think of Japanese steakhouse as the place to get good steak. But I'm going to tell you it's the best steak I've had. It was soft, it was tender, it was full of flavor. And that's exactly how the godly man is in his words. He is the perfect steak to a hungry man. The words, he says, are just delicious to listen to. They they are gentle in speech. It doesn't mean they lack strength. No, not at all. In fact, Proverbs 25 says, the prince is persuaded through patience because a gentle tongue breaks the bones. It is possible to use strong words in a gentle way to bring people over to the right position. But but the way you approach that is gently, not angrily. What is rigidly inflexible? Think of a dispute. Think of some situation. Let it come to your mind. Those are broken by gentle words. That even the most angry man can be brought to a a place of patience and a place of peace when the words in response are tender and sweet and spirit-filled. And so thus, gentle words, they turn away wrath. They turn away the wrath so that it's focused in another direction. That's the idea here. The anger and conflict is diffused. It's just brought down to a reasonable level. So instead of there being angry conflict that's now going back and forth in an argument, both people are brought down to a place of rest because one person said, I'm going to start using soft answers to turn away wrath. Now, friends, that's how it ought to be, that's how we ought to speak. And if you're wise, that is, your spirit filled, that's how you will talk. But look how this pro- proverb ends in verse one. Grievous words, what do they do? They stir up anger. Refusal to walk in the spirit results in an unrestrained tongue. Because the flesh controlled man, he intentionally hurts other people with his words, he pushes their buttons, so to speak. That's an idiom for causing others to get angry. His hope is to set someone else off. And his words have this effect. They're painful to listen to. That's why Solomon calls them grievous. They cause other people to sorrow when they hear them. You know what they're doing? They're actually adding to somebody's burden. They're carrying around whatever weights, whatever problems that are causing them in their flesh way to think and act the way they're doing and because of your flesh way you're adding more problems to them I have told, told people this this is a you know one of those fables the goose that laid the golden egg do you know that fable it said if you want to have a good marriage men it's not happy wife happy life I know I've heard that right but I say nourish the goose. And I've, I've used this illustration before to people in one-on-one counseling situations. If you, if you want to have a good marriage, nourish the goose. And the wife will say, are you calling me a goose? Yes. Just for this illustration, I'm calling you a goose. Well, in the story of the goose laid the golden egg, you remember what happens. The farmer finds out that his, his chicken is laying a golden egg. He, he got this golden eggs. Is it the hen? Are you all gonna make? Are you gonna? Are some of you actually gonna hold me to that? Is it the goose? I said chicken, and it was supposed to be a goose. Okay, I'm muddled. Do you see this? All right, this is not my fault. This is the I'm I'm achieving here. So let's just not care what animal it is anymore. The cow that laid the golden egg. Is. I know when I say something funny because about half of you erupt on your face. You'd be rotten poker players, a lot of you. <laughs> well, the farmer goes and gets his goose. And every day he gets the golden egg. Well, that's pretty nice, isn't it? You want a golden egg. I mean, a regular egg's fine, but a golden egg, that's really fine. I mean, that's like a Cadbury cream egg. It's nice. It's delicious. delicious. <laughs> You get that that golden egg, and every day he's able to sell that egg. and get a lot of money. One day he comes to his mind. He says, you know what I need to do? I'm going to kill the goose and get all the eggs. And he kills the goose, and he opens up the goose, and guess what? There are no eggs. And the the way that this story works is, the, the moral of it is, if you want golden eggs, nourish your goose. Men, if you want a happy marriage, nourish your wife with good words. How dare it be that in our church we have men who have never told their wives that they love them? You husbands, how dare you not say to your wife, I love you and mean it? You must do that. And wives, if you don't respect your husbands enough to say words of respect to him, to tell him how much you respect him and admire him, how dare you? Because you're not nourishing him. Instead, you you can use grievous words. You didn't fill in the blank. Cook at a good meal. Pick up your clothes. You know, whatever it is. You didn't do what I asked you to do. You always do that wrong. If you want to do something right, do it yourself. We can say those kinds of things. We can cut and bite and hurt one another with our words. And I'm going to tell you even worse, parents, you can do that to your children under the guise of discipline. And that's just dead wrong. I have seen men and women, parents, Abuse their children with horrible words. Say the most hateful things in the world to their kids. And they they wonder when they grow up, they don't want to be around them anymore. I wouldn't want to be around you either. They stir up anger. They're painful. They have no place in a believer's life. You see, this wrathful man, he is hoping to bring another person to be as angry as he is. He is arousing another to anger. See, he's the wrathful man, verse 18, but his words stirred up the anger in another person, verse 1. So now we're at equilibrium. We're both angry. And let me tell you something. It never works out well when both are angry. They test the nature of one spirit control. I'm just trying to test you out here to see if you're being controlled by God. You're not. You lose. We shouldn't be that way we shouldn't be that way because when we are controlled by God the words that leave our mouth should be love words of love words of joy words of peace words that are gentle words that are meek words that are patient some of you got to meet my mom this week my daughter got married. And she she called me yesterday when I woke up from my stupor, my, my my deathbed. She said, Dad, we locked ourselves out of the apartment. What are we supposed to do? And I said, Honey, good news, you and Albert Einstein have something in common. This may be the only thing you have in common. But he locked himself out of his apartment the day he got married, went home for the honeymoon was going to carry his wife across the threshold and realize he didn't have his keys. Had to go next door and get the neighbor to let him in. So You and Albert Einstein now have something in common. That's great. So She said, what do I do? You know, she didn't want a, a lecture. <laughs> she wanted to know what to do. And I said, call the landlord. She called the landlord. You got to meet my mom. My mother has a quality that I wish we all had. In my lifetime, I don't think I've ever heard her say one mean thing about another person. In my lifetime. My mother used to apologize to me when she made a mistake. Have any of you ever heard a parent apologize to you? Say, sweetheart, or, or honey bunches, or however you call your children. I was wrong. That was my mom. Do you know why she's that way? Because she spends time with God. You can't just manufacture that. You can't just put it on. Oh, we had a guy who used to come speak here. He was an evangelist. And every time he talked, I thought, it was even when he was insulting me, and he did once, but it's the kind of kind insult that makes you laugh and go, I love you anyway. You know, he said, he got up at the beginning of a, of a meeting and he said, uh, it was on prophecy. And he said, I just want you to know that if the rapture occurs this week, the pastor has agreed to finish the series of meetings. <laughs> you know, well, thanks a lot. You know, but Bob Shelton was such a kind man, so gracious that after he finished the week and he left, Do you know what the conversation was among the men of the church? I hope that when I'm his age, I can be like that. That when I speak, it's gracious and kind. And that everybody will say, he's such a gracious and kind man. You can't put that on. It comes from God control. And if you're not God controlled then eventually the hate and the anger and the frustration will come out of you and you'll hurt other people. Can we all commit ourselves to the wise words of Solomon? Let's pray. Lord, we need you to help us to be controlled by the Spirit, to yield to Him, be dependent upon Him, be obedient to Him, So that even our hearts and our tongues are controlled. That what we say would be godly and gracious. Before I finish praying, here's what I want. I don't want you to say I failed in what I've said in the past. Because then everybody would have to raise their hand. And if you didn't raise your hand, you'd be a liar. And then I'd have to talk about lying, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I don't want anyone to raise their hand, but in your heart I want you to do this. Lord, help me to be God-controlled so that the words I say for the rest of this day will be gracious words. Then tomorrow morning when you get up out of bed, you say, Lord, help me to be God-controlled today so that the words I say today would be gracious. And let's just see how long you can do that. Wouldn't it be great if that's how we would all be? Now, I'm afraid we're going to fail between now and the end of the day. But why don't we begin right now by just committing that to the Lord? Help me today, right now, Lord, to be God-controlled so the words I say today will be gracious words. And like I said, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to seal that in your heart. I'm going to ask the pianist to play. I'm going to finish the prayer she's going to play. You just seal it in your heart while she plays. Lord, help us to make this commitment before you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.